both here. We're watching the Met Gala a little bit. Uh, it's like more like rewatching. Well, it's recap. Recap of Lady Gaga's iconic entrance. I still don't understand this need of yours to watch it to stay up to date with it. Well, because Gaga and Harry Styles are co-hosting, and they're my favorite people. They are your favorite. What are the odds that your two I favorite know. people would be? It's what would it be for me? It would be Jim Carrey, Taylor and Swift, Taylor Swift. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> what a horrible I combo. I mean, Jim Carrey would be fun. He would. He would do camp. He would. Mm-hmm. But too late, because that was this year. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe they're redoing Sonic. So that's also in the news. Oh, uh, the trailer well, came out. For... News. <laughs> it's not a news podcast. Oh, it's not? No. <laughs> I'm sure our listeners are appreciative of our brief news update in the world. <laughs> and there was a Starbucks cup and Game of Thrones. <laughs> that, oh, wow. That's great. They can really pinpoint That's so and unprofessional. I'm very upset about it, even though I don't watch it. Yeah, so I guess Game of Thrones had a <laughs> Starbucks cup left in one of the shots in this last night's episode. And wow. <laughs> what are the it's odds? It's like, we- come on. You're the biggest show. You, yeah. can't, you can't be doing that shit. You can't get complacent. It's, I mean, on some other shows, it might be more acceptable if they're lower tier, but yeah, come on. Game of Thrones is yeah, all the, the upper tier. Yeah. They are the uh, up tier. <laughs> Utmost. Yeah. Uh, you don't pay premium for a Starbucks cup in your shot. <laughs> you don't. Uh, it was so funny. Um, <laughs> and I was watching a commentary from, I guess, Good Morning America on YouTube. That's how I had learned also about the previous uh, week's episode being controversial because it was so dark. Mm-hmm. And he was like, this time they had a dark roast in wow. the shot. <laughs> I laughed. I thought it was great. Everybody, but bum We actually saw something recently where there was a camera we saw one of the cameras in a oh. multi-camera sitcom pretty popular if you, you've ever seen that show the one that is about <laughs> i don't know the lyrics so at all. what camera's trying to say in basic terms is that we saw a camera in friends like we saw them accidentally get a little bit of a camera while we were watching Friends. We did. And so it just goes along with the weird mistakes in popular shows. It's true. and we. But in Friends, I don't know. It's just like, well, yeah, no, it's still big. But it's a comedy. I don't know. It's less serious. I don't know. Game <laughs> of Thrones is so serious that it's like. How do you leave a cup? Well, no. And, and in totally their defense also, Game of Thrones is probably a single camera, maybe two, but I, at, in any given scene, but it's all pre-recorded, not like a live audience. And Friends was a four camera, multi-cam. Yeah. It basically got show. one of the other cameras a little bit because there was fast movement. Yeah. Because it's standard for there to be four cameras filming the action. Yeah. So... It just got kind of close to the edge there. But yeah, Game of Thrones, it's a little more like it's edited. It's, you know. Right. It went through so a lot of eyes. Exactly. Did. They should so have been able to get that out of the it shot. It happens. It happens. But also it's like from the biggest show, you expect like excellence. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's so funny because I can imagine maybe it was like the actor that was sitting right there right. is coffee. <laughs> well, and the girl, it's the dragon girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know whose coffee it was. Normally, they would have people like a script supervisor or the um, set decorator, the, the production designer, somebody there to be there to catch those types of mistakes. But it's so funny how so many people looking at the monitors just couldn't. Yeah, it just it just slipped. Yeah. Slipped by. Do you think that they did it on purpose? They let it left it in uh, on purpose? Spawn? That's a conspiracy. I don't know about, don't know about the spawn. <laughs> well, but just everyone's to like, saying it's a Starbucks cup. I don't think it actually, or I don't know if it actually was, but it's a good spawn for them, <laughs> as usual. Like blank space, secret message. Huh? Like Taylor Swift and blank space. What's? Oh, that's e- right. Yeah. yeah. See, Starbucks is smart. See, they like, maybe they get secret message spawns. I mean, because does Starbucks <laughs> even have? Uh, Starbucks does have commercials, don't they? Yeah, of course. But I'm just saying conspiracies about starbucks maybe they're secretive about their spawn shady spawn yeah well yeah and so we saw that a mistaken friends also a similar uh, kind of type of deal and we were watching friends because of lisa kudrow yeah and we so were i wanting mean, to follow her speaking of hbo career. 
Right, We're exactly. Game of Thrones. This is an underrated show on HBO. Wow, it's like the crossing of segues. Well. <laughs> Game of segues. Yeah, so th- this episode I want to focus a little more on review and the pilot in the first half and sort of explaining what the comeback is because, see, as opposed to a lot of the movies that where I say the non-spoiler part is unnecessary, this one, I think the non-spoiler part is important because it's such an unknown show. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. A lot of people haven't heard of it, but it's kind of a cult classic. Hmm. You know what else a lot of people haven't heard of? What? High Keepo Club. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and if you haven't heard about us, we are High Key Book Club, uh, where we we book club movies and TV shows. It's a podcast. We podcast book club. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you had me all kinds of mixed a up podcast, last time, and I was a book club. Wait, <laughs> a podcast where we book club movies and TV. See, so no, and, no, that's and, what I. Well, uh, uh, also a book club where we podcast movies and TV. Because you said that one, you said that first, and you were you you got it mixed up on on accident. I ha- I'll have to re-listen. You should. It's there. <laughs> I feel like you're getting it mixed up, but no. <laughs> I just think it's funny both ways. It's true. Well, we well we do book club and podcast about movies and TV shows. And today we are covering a TV show about a TV show that has a TV show in it. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, typically we do a non-spoiler half and a spoiler half, and hopefully here in the non-spoiler part we'll talk about the pilot because this is also not much of a, like, spoiler show. It's very slice of life, so it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like spoiling reality TV where it's, like, spoiler, but it's, like, real life. I don't know. Or I kind of hear where you're coming from. I I just mean, like... Talking about the pilot freely is, is fair game. I agree. Even though Completely. It, even I mean, if, the pilot is really set up for the series. Yeah, even if you haven't seen the show, don't worry about it. It's It needs some explanation, I feel Absolutely. like. Absolutely. Because it's very unique and just bear with us because it's an amazing show. And it's kind of like, it's amazing the, the Office is so popular, but like, I feel like this is one of the most similar in like tone and humor to the office even more than parks and rec i mean they parks and rec brooklyn and nine they're similar in structure to mm-hmm. the office but this one it's like the same humor the same tone just instead of so in the office we're parodying office culture right corporate america that's right and in this one we're par- in the comeback we are parodying show business the tv tv entertainment entertainment industry like hollywood essentially exactly so i think that's why because i'm famously not a big fan of the office famously (laughs) as we discussed notoriously not a big fan of the office and i'm like the only person ever (laughs) and i mean i appreciate it i can now watch a few episodes Mm -hmm. and enjoy it okay i just never got like hooked and maybe someday i will but to me it's too real and to me, since I'm working in an office, to me, it's like, I don't want to watch what I do for eight hours. You know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> it's too real to me, to corporate America. But the reason I like the comeback, even though it's the same kind of humor, is because it's an industry I'm not in, even though it's very the most realistic depiction of Hollywood out there. But it's like, because it's new to me, I'm okay with the cringe humor. I'm just saying that I think the reason it boils down to the office, it's too real of a world I'm a part of. And And the comeback is too real for the entertainment business. Maybe if I was in entertainment, I wouldn't like it (laughs) because it's like, you know, it's like seeing my job because it's it's a world I'm not familiar with. I learned a lot from the comeback about television and how, how it's produced and just the unglamorousness of it all you know it's all just people doing jobs <laughs> and it's kind of like sleazy well we hope that you'll learn <laughs> along with us too as we break it down and yes. we're really excited to do that coming up i guess before we get going just uh should they can't look at gaga Zeleny. <laughs> she's working as much the as we would love them to look at gaga right now and how she is sticking her lips puckered up in the air <laughs> and now waving her butt on the stairs with her heels up 
It is a sight to see. Hard to look away. <laughs> hard to look away. Oh, wow. I'm really trying to give the best live commentary that I can here as she struts in six inch heels stilettos is that what they're called no those are not stilettos oh, okay. those are huge those are like the top model challenge shoes exactly. where everyone broke their ankle <laughs> for real everything is sparkling her it's in it's like black diamonds with or sparkles a yeah, with a bleach blonde wig she looks like she's a warrior princess model stripper <laughs> <laughs> you would love that so, yeah, she did a few reveals. We're just watching, like, the recap of the Met. And, and then this Met dude interest. just came in. Yeah, the guy from the new Project Runway, which I hate in this in the show. Oops. But I guess he designed her looks. So now I'm conflicted about him. Well, I was actually just about to say that I am Cameron. Oh, I'm Zeleny. This is Cameron. That's Zeleny. This is High Key Book Club. Yes, it is. Mm. And so, yeah, we're going to just dive right into The Comeback, yeah, so an HBO show. We'll back up and explain what The Comeback is. Yes, please. The Comeback is a show on HBO. In 2005. Premiered in 2005. So all you Game of Thrones and so Westworld. So did The Office. Okay. That's interesting. So all of you Game of Thrones and all you Westworlds. You have access to the comeback (laughs) through your HBOs, okay? No excuses. No excuses because (laughs) all y'all that have access have access. And they're short episodes, so they're like 30-minute slots, so they're 20-some minutes. It's a show starring Lisa Kudrow. As Valerie Valerie Cherish. God, I love her. I I, seriously, I can't think, like, I can't think of the word cherish anymore without thinking Valerie (laughs) Cherish. Good. She would love that. I cherish her. So she plays Valerie Cherish, who is a TV sitcom actress. Yeah, she's a TV actress. And that's an important distinction because she's trying to kind of make a name for herself. But it seems to really difficult for her to have traction in her career. And I think it's partly just because she's stuck into the TV kind of sitcom mold. And Yeah, so she was in... So it's kind of interesting because... We all, a lot of us know Lisa Kudrow for playing Phoebe on Friends, a popular 90s sitcom. And her character in The Comeback, Valerie, uh, starred in a 90s sitcom as well called I'm It. And it has a very similar vibe to Friends. And I think, so The Comeback was co-created by Lisa Kudrow and Michael Patrick King, who executive produced Sex and the City. Oh, um, which was also an HBO show. Okay. Yes. So he's known in, I don't know, comedy <laughs> space. I don't know. But he, he's known. He He's actually the producer also now of, or director of RuPaul's new show on Netflix. It hasn't come out yet, but mm-hmm. it, I know it's in like production or I don't know. Wow. What stage it's in. How interesting. I think it's called AJ and the Queen. AJ and um, the Queen. So RuPaul is a very known big fan of the comeback and Michael Patrick King. And that's kind of where I heard about it because the show was low key. Mm. So season one debuted in 2005 and there was not a season two immediately. Shockingly. Shockingly, but also apparently it was very critically panned in 2005 because (sighs) it was ahead of its time. That's what is the what is the ma- Rick Amores? I know it was madness it was ahead of its time. So I wonder if those same critics would hold uphold their opinion today. No, because season two. So they there was a season two eventually, but it came out in two thousand fourteen. What and it was what 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 the disparity? Well, I don't know, but nine years, nine to ten years after the first season, which was, it's a really interesting. It's really interesting to see the characters also be 10 years later and season two is actually amazing as well and that one was critically acclaimed was it really yeah so it's kind of like the public or we we caught up to the satire they're presenting yes because it's season one and two are both great well i I, yeah and i i i kind of think that the first season is a little better than the second but it's really kind of here nor there they're just two kind of separate periods and contexts so that's a little bit different styles uh and also they're different formats the original show is actually in standard definition 
um, which is the kind of four by th- four to three ratio screen wise. Let me continue with the with the setup because people are probably <laughs> what more interested in that. Yes, and well, not about aspect ratio. What's well, yeah, exactly. The other one is in modern aspect ratio, sixteen to nine. We gotta set up like what this is. So good. Lisa Kudrow plays Valerie Cherish, and she was a sitcom actress, but like you said, she's having trouble getting her career off the ground. So she hears about this audition for a new sitcom that also comes with, or like they offer it to her. It's kind of unclear in the pilot, but like basically they want an actress to go on a sitcom, and then they also want to make a reality TV show following her coming back to TV. So they have several candidates that could possibly be this lady that's doing a comeback in this reality show and they're trying to audition a few to be on the sitcom and then to also be the star of this reality show that comes on right after the sitcom because there it's 2005 so reality tv is kind of new and really happening so i think the network's trying to sort of bundle reality and sitcom to get the crossover of fans to cross over to either i don't know it's weird but anyway so she she does get the part obviously because we still have the whole show (laughs) and the whole show is just the raw footage of the reality tv of following the tapings the taping of valerie's life i mean that's one of i that's one of my favorite parts about this show is how it doesn't have any kind of title design or yeah anything that's elaborate it's just straight up color bar screen with uh the room to the tone uh to say it's the and it says the comeback raw footage and that's all so that you get it's all technically raw footage from this reality tv cameras that are following valerie cherish's life and her like acting in this new sitcom and going through just following her that's the whole that's what the whole show is just that raw footage it is and and so because of the choice to aesthetically present this story through raw footage the entire series has a very documentary feel like to it but at the end of the day it's still a fictional narrative so, everything yeah, is blocked and scripted it's a completely fictional show but it feels like you're watching raw footage of a reality show following this girl this woman actress valerie cherish and the great thing about the comeback is that it is it does the job and makes it feel like it's real life like Mm -hmm. it really does and i've never seen i don't know if i have but i've never seen a more realistic fictional show i mean i think it's also a testament to the actors because the casting of this show is phenomenal everybody commits and i think that it must be that everybody loved it when they were in it because all of them signed to come back in season two some nine years later so (laughs) it's an amazing job all of the actors that they do especially lisa kudrow uh, it's incredible that she's able to carry this air of real lifeness through her character like, which uh, is so layered and intricate uh and with so many different thoughts going on being processed at the same time and somehow like making she it says, look all real yeah she says everything with just little glances and like you know, it's so you quick. see the meaning behind her fake words all the time. Yeah. It's like, it's insane how detailed her performance is because, yeah, it really makes a show. But it's one of those shows that's weird because it's like, <laughs> well, it's weird in format. It's not something you're used to. And it's a comedy, but it's like a cringe comedy. Mm. That's why I think it's like The Office right it's like the cringe humor it is of like a cringy person (laughs) you know which in in the office is steve crawl well so it's intricate um i'll try to break it down a little bit but i mean i this is just me my attempt to analyze analyzing this well i think that their characters are very similar like the lead characters in the office delusional delusional um and and optimistic you know uh yeah it's like always having pipe dreams and thinking that they're going to like be and committing to them and 
they're super concerned with how they come off. Oh, absolutely. Right. With their image. Instead of like totally. them at themselves as a person, they're con- they're just concerned about how they look to, to others. everybody else. But and like, that's what drives all of their actions. Yeah. And exactly. So th- both of those characters play into that exactly. And because of that, they're constantly trying to cover up everything that they say or they do uh, to make. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but then also being oblivious to, in the process of all of that, being oblivious to just picking up on basic social yeah. uh, norms and social cues. Yes. There are a lot of similarities between Valerie and Michael Scott. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's why I'm like, the comeback And they're is both constantly, like, looking at the camera, too, or, like, making glances. Yeah, because like, the office is mockumentary. Breaking, so. yeah, breaking the fourth wall is also, I think, an aspect to the comedy, like, the humor. Because yes. we really, f- it's like this way, weird way that the characters communicate with us. Yeah, so in, in the office, it's a mockumentary, but in, in this one, Valerie Cherish is kind of, like we said, obsessed with her image and how she comes off. So she's always, everything she's saying, she's always glancing at the camera or like trying to give a good angle or, you know, trying to just like, or she, if she says something like she slips a little bit, she's like, no, cut that, cut that. Like she's telling the camera and Jane, who's the the producer uh, that follows her around. So they are very similar characters. And that's why I think it's just that the comeback isn't known and be- that's why it's not as, n- or you know, that's why it's not beloved by a lot of people. But I feel like a lot of people would like it if that many people like The Office. You know what I mean? Well, so there, it brings up to the issue of can like a, a female lead a um, like comedy show, which is, and it's not, it's not like can they if they're able or not. It just has to do with how audiences receive it and just like the the American audience and how they've really become accustomed to having a um, like male, you know, a male yeah, uh, that's a good lead in comedy, and it's just a problem that they um, that just like the whole comedy world has experienced. It's really hard for women comedians, and so I think that. Um, you know, look at, I mean, friends, uh, they still had to balance it. It's still 50, 50 and well, parks and rec did it. Well, of course, parks and rec was also but revolutionary was by doing it. Yeah, and it was, was after. after, and it was also like kind of in this response to the office in a sense, right? You know, yeah. how the office is led by a male. So, uh, I don't know. It's just something that, and, and so that's why I'm trying to say is like, that's, I think especially in that time period of 2005, right. the, the critics and audiences just weren't on the level I think of thinking about, you know, where female comedy stood in the industry in general in that sense. And so if there just wasn't an audience for it, but also it's just well, unfortunately I also think that it was like, I don't think people are ready to break the fourth wall that much yet, especially when it came to commentary on what reality TV was. Yeah. I don't back think then it was so new and right. like, you know, we still unit- hadn't really figured out if it was bad or not or like, or real or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, do we really like it or not? Or, you know yeah like we see a lot of references to like is reality dead is right. it dying i mean this, this is still like you know huge american idol is still huge right now and you yeah, have next time model is huge right <laughs> uh i think the kardashians are probably starting around that time yeah keeping up with the kardashians and so it's uh it, it's just i don't think that the world i don't think there was an audience that was really interested in making a commentary about reality tv yes that's why it's so interestingly like a decade ahead of its time yeah uh, and it's just crazy how much it like predicted about like now we've talked about this trend of like we see behind the scenes and the honesty and the raw is super trendy right now i guess that show is a show for today yeah <laughs> really because it like shows the gritty and the, the, the real side of Hollywood. And I, it's very, like, unglamorous and just, like, you know, it's there's nothing that's special. It's just, like... Exposed. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. Uh, it also shows just how much of it is directed. Yes. Well, and the, the, the whole point... That's why this... So, uh, fair warning. I feel like this show could be hard to get into because it was for you. Like, it took us two tries and it took me two tries of selecting very carefully selected episodes uh for you to get hooked because 
it's kind of it's hard to get into because it's raw it's technically it's raw footage it's not like exciting always you know it's like you have to be looking at the nuances at her little looks and the meaning behind what everyone's saying because you know it's all it's the humor is in the subtlety of this show and in the realism because every character is like an archetype of like a type of person in that world and you just i don't know it's such a brilliant commentary on each of these types of people and the industry and it can you know if you wanted to take it from this angle you could learn a little bit kind of the basic structure of how tv shows are kind of run both reality and then also uh, at least a sitcom sitcom, i learned a lot about a sitcom and just like the the practical just what they do (laughs) it's true behind the scenes it's just it's very interesting to see it just as people just going to work And then uh, it gets hella meta in season well, two. Okay, yeah. This show is also the definition of meta. It's like a show within a show within a show, and it's self-referential, especially in season two. But Which in also one, in a two. weird way is like a parallel to Lisa Kudrow's kind of life in a way. Well, yeah, exactly, because she that's the thing about the character. She was on a famous 90s sitcom, and it's like, so was Lisa Kudrow. Yeah. And I heard on a podcast with RuPaul where Lisa Kudrow was the guest and they talked about the comeback and uh, she talked about how a lot of actresses sort of talk to her about, it's like, is this show based on me? Wow. And, and she was like, no, we were literally just making a general commentary. Like, or is it based on her? Like, she gets that a there lot. There are so many people, industry people that related yeah, that, to her. Exactly. That it just, it was weird because Lisa's just like, no, we just made it as a general sort of story about general Hollywood. And like everyone thought it was like personal <laughs> just because it was so real and so specific. And so I don't know. Well, just- so there's kind of an unspoken rule, uh, definitely, I guess, spoken about in Hollywood is that you don't make uh, movies or shows about Hollywood. <laughs> Well, that's another. I'm, well, that's the thing. I'm saying like back then, that's why they weren't ready. Yeah, I and completely now, agree. And now it's more of a thing to expose and all. Because that, Hollywood, so. yeah, exactly. I don't think it was at that time ready to uh, face criticism about itself. Yeah, and this is an ongoing issue that's uh, you know since the birth of Hollywood itself. Uh, I remember. I think uh, one of the most pungent uh moments i witnessed that was watching when (laughs) uh marlon brando won an academy award i think it was for the godfather and instead of going uh, to accept the award he sent uh, a representative from a reservation uh, an Mm -hmm. indian reservation to call attention and awareness to uh like current events of atrocities and oppressions that were happening against native americans during that time period and marlon brando he's literally sacrificed his award and whole being there so that this person could have like two minutes not even of airtime to speak and then it like after a minute when the audience realized what was going on the crowd started booing oh my god and this is like the early 1970s oh and so it's yeah it's so and they had to you know cut her microphone and push her off stage oh my god it's like hollywood has a history of not being able to face its issues and then even in that way, not even be able to face like how face criticism of how it portrays the real world. And so luckily I feel like in the last few years, we're trying to make strides that direction, uh, to be more self-conscious and And critical, more transparent. Yeah. But that it's taken a while to get there. And so I think this is a show of on the commentary or yeah, to, to, to speak on how it Hollywood didn't at that time do that. And kind of also, I think, trying to make a statement that it's toxic it's a toxic uh, way that it affects the psyche and our and their behaviors yeah i mean valerie is very influenced by the glamour of hollywood and she's very enamored with tv and being a star and that's kind of her whole like that's what that's why she agreed to do the comeback reality tv show and that's why she's sacrificing a lot of things like her personal life being filmed like everything for just that to remain in the spotlight to remain a star to be seen as a tv actress 
and lots of other things. She's trying to make herself seem like she's just trying to make sure she's in the public eye and portraying herself as this amazing person. I don't know. No, <laughs> no, and I, I like that moment in the pilot when they all uh, when she goes to audition for the role in uh, Room and Board, which yes. is the title of the show, the sitcom, the sitcom. and it's bored like. B-O-R-E-D. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm bored of and this podcast. And it's a bad podcast. sitcom. Oh, my God. <laughs> JK. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a pretty bad sitcom. It's like a classic. Bad? It's weird. It's like a CBS sitcom. <laughs> I, I think it's like, it, it's like the aesthetic uh, and cast of a Disney Channel show with, no, well, like, the themes of, like, some weird perverted the the aesthetic reminded me <laughs> HBO of HBO show uh, the aesthetic reminded me of mad not mad uh two and a half men oh okay like that kind of setup apartment i don't know but yeah it's it's more like youthful and lisa kudrow plays well, i mean full house kind of that full house no full house full house is family you keep getting confused no this is like cbs this is like two girls wait waiters at what is oh, <laughs> two, God. two, two bro- broke girls, two broke girls <laughs> are like two and a half men big bang theory but very sexual i don't know it's if- very sexual and it's very written from like i think that they were trying to make a statement that the writer's room is very masculine you think? <laughs> obviously like it's very like the sitcom in the in the show it's room and board it's very like it it's exaggerated to comment on how sexist and like bad comedy writers are just in power I, I don't know they're just complacent and they make bad jokes and it's like why are these guys i mean they make writing? jokes that they think are funny when they're in a circle yeah and can all laugh at the same time but about have, it but then in front of the live it's like they have to have the live audience to test the jokes to screen them yeah but the audience will laugh at most things though but anyway, but well, like, well, right, they get told to laugh. But we find <laughs> once she gets cast, uh, you know, we find these issues uh, where she wants to adjust a line or a joke that she doesn't think is going to land in front of a live audience. And then she gets pushed back from the director well, saying, yeah, right, 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 right. Oh, but, I was I was just going to say from the moment of her going uh, into audition and I love the moment when she comes up to the other girls, uh, other auditionees in the lobby, the mm-hmm. other uh, women, and they, <laughs> you know, she over, or well, she goes up to them and says, you know, who, none of us need a comeback. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, she, yeah. She doesn't think that it's, you know, she just like, I think she's, she feels the fame. And so because she wants it, she just lives it, right? Yeah. Well, she, she lives, portrays that image. She agreed she to the is. comeback to stay in the public eye, but she makes it very clear she doesn't believe she needs a comeback because she's kind of she doesn't believe she ever went away. She's like, where'd we go? <laughs> she, you know, but it's kind of a com- it's a commentary of like Hollywood having like an having it girls at a certain time and then moving on and just like disposing of them almost, you know, mm-hmm. just like not caring at all anymore. So she is past that prime of like mm-hmm. when she was the it girl literally that's a running theme yeah literally they call the sitcom she was on in the show i'm it that's the that's 90s. what made her famous yeah. yeah so she was the it girl and now she's not as much anymore but she's kind of still believing she is and she doesn't believe she needs a comeback and it's but <laughs> <laughs> And it's just so funny how much she plays along with it. And so while the cameras are following her life around, she puts on this very uh, uh, inauthentic or unauthentic uh, persona to change how her real life is perceived on the cameras. And we see it causing these strains with the relationship she has with her husband. Uh, because she also has to bring her family, her husband and her daughter in. It's well, interesting. Stepdaughter. Oh, it's her stepdaughter. Oh, that's right. Oops. <laughs> her stepdaughter. Thanks. Yeah. You know the whole family tree. I can always count on you. <laughs> yeah. I've rewatched it many times just because it's just one of those that's like, it's so meta and so clever and you find new things. And even within the episodes we've seen, like things circle back and it's just super thought out. Like, oh my God, how can they be that genius? That's one thing that I really appreciate about these episodes is that they feel every episode feels very complete even though in the moment it feels like what does this matter or like it's all raw footage it's all boring like 
you know. Some jokes don't get resolved until at the very end of the episode. And it's just amazing to see how these little seeds of an idea or a joke will pop up throughout the show uh, and then come back around later on. And the, the payoff is just incredible and uh, really smart writing, really. And it's just inc- like, I don't know how they plan something like this. The layers of it. I know. Are and it's all planned. There was no, there was no improving while filming. Wow. So uh, there was a lot of improving while writing sure. with Lisa and Michael Patrick King. But after or once they're filming, it's all scripted and the, the cameras are scripted, mm-hmm. which if you haven't seen it, it's like very fast moving reality TV type cameras. Like, I don't know. It just feels real. It, it does. Feels. And, and, you know, it's also the same for The Office. Oh, yeah. The office. It, it looks very uh, off the cuff and improv, but it, they, Steve Carell in an interview had said it's actually only like 5 or 10% improv, if that. Well, and also a uh, common thread, Michael Schur is an executive producer, I believe, on the mm, first season of right. The big, Comeback. We're a big fan of Mr. Schur. Yeah. Sure, he was important on The Office, and then he sort of pre- pretty much he made Parks and Rec, he made The Good Place. He co-made Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Wow, a lot of NBC um, shows. Yeah, he's an NBC guy, but he did work on the comeback too, and that makes a lot of sense because there's like it's crazy. I had never analyzed that much. The thing about The Office, it's kind of something I just realized now, trying to figure out what angle to like sell it to people through. But like, there's really a lot of overlap and similarities. It's just a different world they're commenting on. And it's just sad that there aren't nine episodes that we can follow. <laughs> what do you mean? Of the comeback, like there is The Office. Nine? Yeah, there's nine seasons. Nine seasons. Oh, did I say episodes? Yeah, episodes. I'm like, Urgh. there are nine episodes. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. So if Oops. you're still if you're still here, anyone, <laughs> I would really recommend giving the comeback a try. It's It's just like it's well, quality it's so weird. and so many people like the office like if you like the office i think you can get into the comeback i was confused by what it was every time yeah you had said we should watch the comeback in my head i was just thinking of like a football coach who <laughs> like doesn't coach anymore and is like having to i don't know for some <laughs> reason it's just the word the comeback made me think like Sports. Sport. I would never uh, watch sports. It's like sports. some coach of some team is like drunk, uh, an alcoholic who is divorced and down on his rutch. It's not uh, about sports. I would not recommend something about sports this much. Yeah. <laughs> In the slightest. I don't know. Maybe gymnastics, but that's it. <laughs> uh, but I definitely recommend it. I just I, say I, I a lot of people. A lot of people have HBO right now. A lot of people watching Game of Thrones, and a lot of people watch Westworld. So that's where I'm like. HBO is in a big golden age right now, so you have access to this older episodes of the comeback. And then season two is amazing. It's it's ten years later. You see the characters again. It's just as brilliant, and it has an amazing end. And I wish there were more seasons. And I mean, they've said they've they'd be interested potentially, but you know, and maybe another ten years. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's also a big commentary on sexism in Hollywood and the whole it thing moving on. It's something they do to women more, obviously. Like men have long careers where they get roles continuously, but women, it's like they have like an expiration date. And uh, all throughout both season one and two, in different ways, Valerie's sort of an example of that. And especially how they portray her in the sitcom she gets cast in, which originally she's playing sort of like a hot, cool character. Um, That's like her age, but like 30 something. (laughs) And then they change it to like an old aunt with an ugly tracksuit. And they make jokes about that would make her be like 100 years old, you know, and it makes no sense. She like they just all they give her is old jokes. And she's like 30 something, you know, and it just shows that sexism of just one dimensional, especially older female characters. Like it's uh, a little problematic. And I think like the way that it was uh, 
described in the show was that the executives, after doing some tests, decided to change up the characters, and uh, that's what caused it. Uh, so I don't know if it was like the writers choosing to do it or if the executives were uh, coming in to say, oh, sex sells, youth sex sells, so we have to change the dynamic yeah, of they, the main characters. It was originally going to be a foursome of 30 somethings. And then they said something about that's been done before. I think that was a nod to sex. Friends? In the ci- no sex in the city. Cause oh, that was for, got it for women. Right. Uh, that I don't know how old they were, but I think it was, it was a long show. So I'm sure they got in their thirties at some point. Yeah. It's like, that's been done and she was going to be one of the four. And then she's like, what the heck? And then they, they cast a bunch of young people and made her like, one of their aunts and she all she had was old jokes also though it's is this how tv shows actually work because some of the episodes they were writing like rewriting while they were filming and like yeah, waiting that, that on... happens they usually have alts That's... so i i know on the good place because i listen to the good place podcast another source that the comeback and the good place podcast are where i've learned the most about how tv is produced uh, especially tv comedy shows but yeah usually a lot of times writers will have alt lines um for certain jokes um just and they'll and they'll do all of them and then decide in the edit or you know but in the in this one they would rewrite as they were going it's kind of just that improv thing usually there's some room for improv in those sitcoms from what i've heard Yeah, I think that's semi-normal, especially on this. It's kind of a trashy sitcom. It's definitely not like a it's it's not a good sitcom. <laughs> not by any means. And that's kind of the point. They're trying to comment. And on. it also it, it does eventually. So spoiler. No, no, no. Let's go to the spoiler part. What? We're not in the spoiler part? No, not at all. Girl. So let's, move on, let's move on to the spoiler part. OK. OK. So I just I just really recommend it on your HBO yeah, me too. I recommend it as well. Okay. Hi, it's a high key stamp of approval. For sure. So now it's just like a, a little commentary on just the rest of the series. Since a lot of people haven't seen it, that's why this part is not the long part. Okay. But yeah, what were you saying? That was a spoiler. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> About the sitcom. The show eventually gets gets canceled. canceled. Yes. Room and board. The sitcom gets canceled. And then the comeback gets canceled. Because the comeback goes along with it. So. I thought that they had, like, though, in season two, talked about how they released the comeback. Wait, what? They didn't talk about how they released the comeback? What do you mean, how? In season two, talking about how the show ended up coming out back then. It did. No, it came out. It just, I just mean past the first season. Like, Room and Board also made it out. Oh, okay. Because they get suspended, but then they come back. Oh, okay. With rewrites. Oh, okay. Cool. The sitcom does. It does yeah. air. Remember, she she's watching it, and the tag comes up with the robot, oh, and she's right. all mad that the robot stole her tag. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. So, <laughs> she just there's a lot of getting mad. But so... Well, so that's what I appreciate, actually... That's what I appreciate about the show, is how all of the time... She is a constantly a protagonist that is pushed against uh, obstacles, opposing forces. Like every time she wants to do something, there's something in the way <laughs> that is telling her no. Or, yeah. you know, it's like when she wants to just see herself and celebrate herself on screen for 60 seconds, something right. gets in the way. <laughs> I know. And she- it happens every time. It's so consistent. That's why, like, I think what makes her character so beautiful is that, like, I think any other normal human being would not put up with the bullshit that she goes yeah they would give (laughs) up and not put up with the bullshit that she goes through all of the time but she just like is steadfast turns the other cheek constantly it's like that like confident delusion that you just have to have to like survive sometimes when you're in that kind of environment that's so critical and like savage she deserves i admire her and i think she deserves like how she got her emmy by the end yes of season two so yeah so it's cool by season two we see 10 years later and what she was up to those 10 years and that's a big reflection on the sexism thing about her getting older her only being able to land like student films and like going back on to reality sometimes but like being bad at it because she's too self-aware like 
she was on her show, but on her show, she could do whatever. But like on other people's shows, she can't be all self-aware looking at the camera the whole time. Right. But she can't help it. That's all she does. So we see that those 10 years have been kind of rough and she's trying to sort of get back into it somehow. And then the whole HBO series comes out with Polly G. Polly G? I mean, Polly G needs a, a, a Polly G is a very interesting character because he's so like, there's so many people like him in Hollywood. <laughs> like he's, Tough. Ouch. I mean, yeah, he's that Harvey Weinstein type, that sleazy, like, you know, just empower, but super sleazy and rude and just gross and like, you know. Entitled. Super entitled. Just treats everyone like shit. Even like the women he treats terribly, but even the men he treats like his his writing partner who's like his his buddy, I guess. Like even he like... Very he gross. Treats Very gross. literally everyone terribly. So he's our show's antagonist. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, and in the in the second season, his Do you character. You think Polly G is a good antagonist name? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a great antagonist. Yeah. yeah, Polly G in the second season becomes a more nuanced antagonist because he's like reformed, but we're always like on the edge of like, is he gonna? Hmm. Return to his old ways. Yeah, exactly. Since he was so evil and vile, it's hard to like know. And he was also like showing similar behaviors Uh towards Valerie and throughout the filming of his show. I mean, immediately in season two, he comes off being very reformed. But then through a few episodes, we start to see how he's resorting back to some of his older rude ways. Yeah. So, but I don't know. I I think that at the end, yeah. Yeah. It never breaks him or it never overpowers him fully. The old ways, um, he sort of, he, I think his goodness kind of wins in the end, but also like he's been humbled and knocked down a peg because he's not invited to Juna's party he didn't get nominated for an Emmy and Seth and Lee or Seth, Seth Rogen and Valerie were it's confusing because he's playing Seth Rogen and Valerie got nominated, I think, for their Emmys. They and did, yeah. Polly G did not for directing and writing right. uh, the show. So I think that like knocked him down a peg, which is what he needed. I like that down uh, a peg. Yeah, because he was up too many pegs, you know, mm-hmm. broke his steam a little bit. He needed that because he's just like gets these jobs but it's like prove it in the work you know <laughs> um so. yeah so i guess Polly g has this uh career as a writer due to the emmy that he mm-hmm. won in the early 90s i guess for writing uh, an episode for the simpsons yeah so just from that it just like got him all these jobs right. and he can be an asshole and entitled because he was like pretty young when he got an emmy so. right uh, do, do we need to explain quickly what the premise of season two is? Well, we kind of did. Polly G, who was the writer on Room and Board, comes out and writes a script and gets HBO to pick it up. And um, it's supposed and to be, uh, about him, right? It's about f- his... Right. It's a fictionalized version of his experience being addicted to heroin while... Writing Room and Board? Writing and directing Room and Board, uh, or writing Room and Board, and he's written a Valerie character, Mallory Church, as the main antagonist and the one driving him to drugs, which is another sexist thing, which Juna kind of gets to in the end. She's like, she's talking to Valerie about the show and she's like, he painted us like we were the ones driving him to drugs and like, that's not our fault, you know, and it's like and it's so just great. painting women as yeah. like, it's, so great it's that their she fault could, for no reason. It's so great that she could come around to understanding that i feel like in season one at her character's age then she couldn't but now a little bit more older and i think she could see it for what it is valerie or juna juna yeah so juna is an interesting character i think it's best for this part just going over the characters because it's sort of what they represent and what their journey was season one to two uh juna was sort of she plays another archetype of basically who valerie was maybe when she started the I Met sitcom, just like up and coming, fresh, energetic, naive, uh, beautiful, young starlet that's like rising in fame. And she's she's the new it girl. But she's very like in the clouds, uh, just kind of unaware, just happy to be there. You and know, I guess apparently 
Room and Board was her first acting job. She yes. didn't have any acting experience before that show. Yeah, she had a fan base from a rock band. She was just very that cool it girl, which we have at many times. Like Hollywood always has those people, those few. So she's pretty naive, but Valerie, like, kind of. Under her wing, kind of shepherding well, her. Well, yeah, she offers advice and helps her a lot and is there for her. But it's also a little bit with the ulterior motive of like piggybacking on her, her fame. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, because her popularity. Yeah, her. I I want to say like kind of her coolness with the yeah. young, like the young people in the cast. Like you know? I think she sees a lot of herself in her, and that's where like they relate and like she helps her. But also there's that element of like oh she's trying to get in the paparazzi shot with oh, her for you sure. know? <laughs> and she constantly like reminds her that i'm the famous one here like <laughs> you know i'm the seasoned yeah. one and juna's like yeah whatever like all the experience yeah she don't care and juna eventually like really or like you know from the beginning basically kind of embraces her as a kind of mother figure and for the, sure uh in the whole experience of the filming yeah the she, career she's also like kind of the mvp of the sitcom the one that's like oh this one's gonna go far after mm. this and she's played by Malin Ackerman, who became, I don't know if this was one of her first roles, but like she it's pretty known actress. I've seen her in a lot of things. I was wondering. Yeah, she she was in Rock of Ages and she was in 27 Dresses. She's I mean, those are lame movies, but those are the <laughs> ones I like. Um, I, but she's in other things, I'm sure. But it's just weird to see her all young. and they. But then they get her back for season two and she's super mega famous on level with like um like superhero girls all the superhero girls that are blockbuster girls that are just mainstream like jennifer lawrence she's like jennifer lawrence or emma stone or you know one of those that are you know big Mm -hmm. uh she and by season two she's just this big star and she's filming at all times for months on location all around the world uh shooting for vogue like all these things and she still is super nice when she runs into valerie and like you can see that the love she has for Valerie still because it was her beginnings. But that conversation, so she has an annual party and invites Valerie towards the end of season two. And then that's kind of that. I think that conversation at that party is a very important one for Juna for seeing we see her maturity and we see her now like looking out for. Yeah, it's like the returning roles, the favor. Yeah, exactly. Role reversal. It's really sweet uh, turnaround for them and we just see that's where we see how much she's matured and how much she's learned because she's in this she's mega famous you know she's learned a lot and i right and i appreciate how she is so passionate about advocating for valerie to have some like have more dignity yeah with her work it's a very important moment because at this point in the season valerie she's a very pushover like valerie can like has pushover tendencies. Right. Which always well, kind of get her in trouble. Not get her in trouble, but like cause her to lose out on something. I or, don't think it's the pushover thing. I think it's like she'll sacrifice literally anything for the fame, for the moment, for having a moment in the public eye. And then also to please people too. Like she really does yeah. want to please people. Like they're her fans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's She's like, you know what? Yeah, I'll take a puppy. Right. <laughs> right she won well, it's not no she's not trying to please people she's trying to come off a way that she thinks is the best way to come off okay fair enough fair enough. um it's weird but that conversation valerie and at that point in the season is so far gone she's like all she's seeing she's seeing like almost she's seeing that emmy well she's already nominated at that point she's seeing the emmy and it's like everything she's ever wanted and she's like delusional. She doesn't care about her husband. Like it's kind of a low point. And she's she's just gone mentally. Like she's doing anything for fame, anything to get where she wants. And then Juna Juna sees that at the party and has that conversation, trying to get through to her, trying to get her to come back down. And she's too far gone. Like she can't get her down. But it's just important we see that that Valerie is like not registering that like. Valerie, where's your husband? Like, what what's happening with your life? Like, you're it's falling apart, and Valerie's just acting like, "Ooh, I'm nominated for an Emmy." <laughs> That's a very cool character development for Juno. Absolutely, she's a cool character and a good actress. I love her, Malin Ackerman. 
Um, another character I really liked uh, is uh, what's his name? Mickey. <laughs> Mickey. <laughs> there it is. Which is a I, I love how the series ends uh, with him. Yeah, he's what that person like the invisible most important person to Valerie. You know, almost mm-hmm. the sidekick. Yeah, exactly, and. He's so cute. He's always coming into the shot when yeah. they're like between takes or he thinks they're between takes to make little adjustments on her hair. And I just I love it. It's so adorable. Yeah. And he's just he's always her biggest cheerleader, even when no one else sees anything in Valerie. Everyone else is putting her down. He's just there and pumping her up, which a lot of celebrities have people like this around them that because the hate can get so bad with celebrities i mean it's hard because it's kind of like those people are kind of yes men to you and they just well yeah they like fuel your delusion a bit too (laughs) uh i think well they have they stand to benefit from your fame oh absolutely (laughs) oh of course Uh, but i think most celebrities have a version of mickey wow uh, or or multiple that just fuel the delusion because you need that to survive. I don't know. It's very interesting. But he's an archetype of that type of person that's like supportive to a fault. <laughs> yeah, something I did not appreciate was kind of how wasteful she was by saying, I need a hairstylist and I need a wig stylist. I need yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, it's, it's just she just wants Mickey there yeah you know for her his yes men qualities way more than for his hair because he doesn't do that much to the hair really he's just like touching it it's like it's just like her security blanket you know for sure well and i just think it's that prerogative of always caring about your image and how you're always looking and so you just yeah. carry around this personal image assistant everywhere you go <laughs> exactly how and great. her hair is very important to her brand i know? guess if she's always being on camera then it kind of matters yeah <laughs> so he becomes part of the story and part of the show and and then season two it bond. all it all comes down to his health sort of deteriorating throughout the season and at the end, she has to choose between her Emmy and uh, Mickey being at the hospital. Just she doesn't know what's up. So Mickey gets sick. He originally had a ticket to go with her, but can't go anymore. And so rather than she gets to the Emmys and then rather than deciding to stay there to see all the Emmys all the way through, she decides that it's this is the time that she needs to sacrifice uh, yeah. to focus like, on what really matters that's in her life. The moment and it's, it registers that oh. like just life is more important than this emmy and or you know this what, fame and, and you know what else that's the moment of what it's the moment when the cameras change right yeah we can talk about that the final shot or the final scene sequence, sequence yeah. of this show is just brilliant it is because we we've seen the whole time just through reality tv real camera or just cameras that are in that she's aware of right so we've been in a camera that she's aware of the whole time and then here it's kind of like we we expect her to hold our hand sort of through the experience of the show because she's always there with the camera with us looking at it too you know it's like always well she's just always self-aware kind of weird there as the viewer watching her in a way and you see you you just see her knowing she's on camera with everything she Mm -hmm. says she always says everything with a smile with like a she says like the proper thing and then she says something shady under her breath, you know. And so it's Emmy night and the cameras follow her all the way into the theater. They, I mean, they kind of tried to kick out the cameras, but I think one eventually like somehow stayed and somehow she gets the message that, uh, does she get like a text message? From her husband. She's oh, been trying yeah. to reach him. And the only reason she wants her husband there is because of appearances. Mm. Like she doesn't know how to explain his absence. Oh. Uh, and that's like... That's super, she's just, that's when she's far gone. Like she doesn't understand that real life, like what is her real life? And she's like throwing it all away <laughs> Yeah. Uh, for this dream of recognition and fame. And so was it, does she step out to get, to take, no, the, well, to call? Well, she's been calling him the whole night and he's not answering and he texts her that about Mickey, that Mickey's in the hospital. So, um, and he never, his, her husband, Mark, did not expect her to do anything about it in the moment but she steps out uh like 
she she thinks about it and then that's where the camera shift happens yeah decides to leave the emmy so leaving the theater she just says she she makes an excuse and leaving the theaters where the camera switches and we finally see after all this time valerie without the cameras yes like the real her and when it happens the shot is such a large wide angle that she looks very small in the frame it's like really most of the shot is just the big grander hallway of where the emmys is taking place and then she just kind of pops in and so it's just there's a lot of headroom is what i'm trying to say and like space between her like in the whole frame she's very small in it and i think it is to kind of resemble a she's actually really small in this world in a way but then b it's like she's kind of opening her eyes to that reality as well it's like you know bringing the focus back into like you know realizing what all of this distraction has really been from her people that actually really matter in her life yeah i mean it goes from looking like a just raw footage of a reality show to a movie like an hd movie um and we all the shots are planned yeah we see that we see that shift and it's just it's just so unique and it's just amazing payoff to see the real her after seeing her putting on this character the whole time and fighting with it (laughs) because she's always like sometimes the real valerie comes through but she's always has this character like with the camera and it's like when we see her too acting in the movies in the movie version it like looks like the real character you know it's like the real valerie cherish uh she just suddenly is serious and yeah not yeah, putting she's, on a, she's a normal person yeah. instead of this performative <laughs> like i'm a peppy actress like yeah it's just amazing to see her normal so I think there's so much to uh, comment on regarding how celebrity works in this context and in the society. And I think that that is also what this show is focusing a lot on is what does celebrity mean and what does it mean to us? Like, what does it do to us also as viewers? And uh, and to the people living it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's such a mentally weird thing to go through. I imagine. I wouldn't know. and it's just so amazing that like at the moment that she wins the emmy yeah she i mean she's not there and she is also just like her actual self which uh i don't know it's just it's cool yeah it's just she gets well and the episode is called valerie gets what she really wants and she gets everything because she still has the emmy it's she still won it she has her emmy and she's made the sacrifice to be with the most important people she got her husband back through that she woke up from the matrix she did I, <laughs> yeah and i love that there's a little uh, tv that they watch it from in the hospital room <laughs> and then it's hilarious they see Polly g yeah, trying, trying to, to crawl <laughs> up to accept it yeah and he doesn't see that's all like the, that's hilarious i think what knocks him down and and i think hopefully reforms him for good but hopefully yeah <laughs> Well, that's the comeback. Yeah, those are I think the main characters. There's other very cool characters all all over, but it's all we have time for. Yeah, so. I agree. Um, uh, but it's an amazing show. I mean, I know it's kind of an unpopular. I don't know thing to cover. <laughs> it's weird, but well, it's unknown. It's unknown, and it's really hard to get people to watch something, no matter how good you tell them it is. It's normal. It's same for me. Like, I don't listen to everyone that tells me something's good. Right. But um, I don't know. This one, (laughs) I just really recommend it. That's all I can do. And I hope that we're doing our part to spread the good word about the comeback. The gospel of the comeback. It really needs a... It's it's like a whole thing. Uh, I look forward to trying to cover it a little more extensively in future projects of ours. Oh, for sure. Oh, it's important. I just really think this show has some incredible merit to it that is it, it's still alive right it's still relevant and uh maybe in some ways more relevant now than it was when it had come out and uh we as a society owe ourselves to just watch it i mean after all it's just two seasons yeah um, it's short it, it's they're really short episodes yeah. it's, it's funny like once you get it you get what they're doing which takes maybe it will take a couple episodes once you get what they're doing it's like I admit I was like I was a blowing. skeptic and I 
wasn't ready to invest in another show and I, I, I didn't know i knew lisa kudrow was from the friends the friends <laughs> so uh i just yeah i had a lot of preconceptions coming into it but uh they were really squashed away pretty quickly and so entertaining i just i had to kind of i had to I think we have a lot of expectations because of the form and also the content that it's trying to cover. And so we kind of have these expectations about how it should be like a reality TV show when we're watching it and all that kind of sense. If you really kind of take it again from the great advice you had of looking at it sort of through this office type of lens, then I think it would only take a couple episodes to really find the appreciation of the nuances in this show that are just so beautiful and amazing. Yes. Makes yes. it a great quality piece of media. It's amazing. I can't, I'm it's just a like, show. why is it? It's, uh, it's so unique and so underrated. It's infuriating. <laughs> so I really hope that more of you listeners out there watch this show. Tell your friends about it and subscribe HBO. to Haiki Book Club. <laughs> it's on HBO. It is on HBO. So. Yeah. It's great. Put it on after Got. Got. <laughs> Got, got. Because it is the goat. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> I give it an A++. Wow. A plus. really not fair. Right. No. <laughs> it doesn't a- exist. But. A+. Plus. It's it's one of my favorite shows, and it's just... Thank you so much for showing it to me. Yeah. I'm glad you, you got into it, because it's hard for me. I, I champion it so often, but like I feel like no one listens. It was the same thing with Twilight, by the way. When I was in middle school, I championed the book Twilight. No one had heard of it. And then everyone heard of it. And they were like, oh, it's so good. And I was like, I told you like a year ago. That's how you were with small backpack purses, too. Yeah, I was. (laughs) (laughs) I was. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, before we get carried away, (laughs) I guess uh, we should let you know that we are on social media. We do have a Twitter and an Instagram. It's at Heike Book Club. If you want to go follow us, we would love to have your support. And that is where you can also hear about all the cool news and updates from Heike Book Club, what we are planning to cover in the future weeks. And also, if you have any comments or questions or suggestions for us at here at the bo- at the book club, at the podcast, you can email us. We have an address. It's at it's highkeybookclub at gmail dot com, and we 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 try to keep up with that inbox. It's flooded with emails, um, but <laughs> we promise we'll get to all of you. And uh, I think that's it. It's great to have uh, you listen all the way through. Uh, thank you so much for doing that. And do you have anything else to say that you would like to share, Zeleni? No. All right. It's just an amazing show. I'm sorry to, you know, force it on people so much, but it's worth it. It's <laughs> worth the fight. Yeah. We're tired nails to your hammer. <laughs> huh? Like, oh, ham- I, okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, <laughs> you'll be hearing from us. I don't need to see that. (laughs) Note to self. (laughs) I don't need to hear that.